Uh, last week, Dinah reminded us uh, in this beginning of First John, we, we are taking off on a sermon series on First John, and she framed for us uh, the meaning of these texts uh, all together, and, and she reminded us of this call uh, for a shift of believing in the resurrection to being the resurrection. Uh, she bought, brought up this reality of koinonia, uh, this active participation or joint ownership in relationship, this healthy Christian fellowship where we're being with one another, uh, where we're seeing signs of this life of health, uh, things like kind eyes and laughter, the ability to stop and ask if someone else needs help, uh, this reality of being merciful as God is merciful. Dinah reminded us that our souls are made for belonging. And that God does not believe in separation, but believes that we are all intimately knit together. Jesus said, I and the Father are one, and you are in me as I am in the Father. Dinah reminded us that we are not alone, not in this space and not in any time, for God is always with us. This morning, our scripture begins by reminding us that the foundational truth of all creation that allows these things that 1 John chapter 1 talks about to be true, this identity that we are called to, this reality of what is and who we are, of who God says we are, not of what we do or how we act or how we behave, but what is true about us. Our identity is foundational to all life. It's how we, not just who we are, but it frames how we see the world and how we show up. It is this thing that feeds the reality of shalom, of peace, of truth. And it is the foundation of all creation. And our scripture begins with it this morning. It is the core of what God says about us of you and me. So would you please stand as we read together 1 John chapter 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. This is a radical statement about who God is, about who God says we are, and about how we live in response to all of creation. 
Have you ever awoke in the morning to feelings that you are not sufficient, that you're not good enough, that you don't even want to get out of bed that day? Maybe that you're not worthwhile to the task at hand. Have you ever doubted yourself or told yourself that you're not good enough? We all face these struggles and doubts and hardships, and yet we need to be reminded of what God says of us every day. Samuel Johnson reminds us, people need to be reminded more often than they need to be taught. And I find that to be very true. Most days, I just need to be reminded of this foundational reality of who God says that I am. As Diana reminded us last week, we are one in Christ and God speaks that love of Jesus over us. So for reminding on this core truth of who we are, I prefer to go back to the root of who God says Jesus is. Go back with me to the Jordan River, where Jesus comes down on the banks to find John the Baptist baptizing people and proclaiming this truth of repentance coming. And he sees Jesus from far off and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, what a wonderful way to come onto the scene and be recognized by someone. How intimidating would that be? And after a quick debate over who will baptize who, clearly Jesus wins that debate. And John, even though he's uncomfortable with this, finds himself in the river baptizing Jesus. As we know from the story, Jesus comes up out of the water, the heavens open up, God's voice beckons from above. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, delight of my life. And the spirit descends on him like a dove, hovers over him. And there we see this very important picture of the Trinity, the presence of Father, God, Son, and Holy Spirit all together, three in one, proclaiming and affirming this reality of who Jesus is. And many of us in this room have heard this story before and can believe this story for God. And then Dinah lays the foundation last week where she reminds us that Jesus says, you are in me and I am in you as I am in the Father. And so when we go back to that scene in the banks of the Jordan River, we begin to hear those words spoken over Jesus in a new light and in a new way. Because we realize being one with Christ, these words are not just spoken over Jesus, they're spoken over us as well. These are words for you and me this morning, and not just this morning, but for every day to remind us how to begin our days, how to live our lives, how to respond to the world. You are my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Let that message sink into who you are. Let that message fulfill all the yearnings and dreams you have to be reminded and told this is who you are. For the times that we strive and struggle to be enough and feel like a failure. The message from 1 John this morning begins with the core reality that we are the beloved. And this foundational truth, in my opinion, is what all scripture is found on. What all creation rests on. What everything points back to. 
this core identity of who we are as Christ's beloved. It shifts the foundation of how we live and what we respond to. And we celebrate this core identity in the church in the ritual of baptism. Theologian Rachel Held Evans will tell us a message this morning about this core identity of beloved. And in it, she does it through the lens of baptism. And I want you to hear that because here we talk about baptism as the front door of the family of God, the body of Christ. So we're going to watch this video. I'm going to point out some things. But notice in this how much she goes back to this core identity as beloved. Baptism is a naming. That's ultimately baptism is naming someone a child of God. And um, it's... the child of God? Well, I think we're all children of God, and I think baptism acknowledges that. It, that. And you don't become a child of God when you cross off a list of things to do, or even when you are baptized. Baptize, being baptized is simply a naming, an acknowledgement of someone's existing belovedness. I mean, when Jesus was baptized, he didn't only begin to be beloved by God when he was baptized. Um, it, it was an acknowledgement of his eternal belovedness. Well, he was God, but not everybody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, but I think it's true for everyone else. Not everybody's creating God's image. <laughs> I like that you're playing devil's advocate here. Um, <laughs> but, well, really, I think baptism is, is an acknowledgement of uh, people's belovedness. And when we treat it as that, it's, it's, in the Orthodox tradition, it's part of the baptismal service is a renunciation of Satan and his demons and of evil. And the way I kind of look at that and apply that is in bapt baptism is a renunciation of all those competing voices that try and tell you who you are. Uh, the world says, gives you names like screw up, faker, fat, slut, addict. In baptism, you're named beloved. Uh, and then the world, like demons, beckon with rich, powerful, pretty, right. But in baptism, you're told you're beloved and that's enough. Uh, I think everyone wants to be told sort of who they are. And in baptism, we're told you are a, be a beloved child of God and we're told to renounce anything that says otherwise. And it's a really, it's, it's a defiant thing to do. I, I look at baptism as defiance because the world will always try to name us. And in baptism, we say, no, my name is beloved. <laughs> uh, so whether that happens when you were an infant and you are remembering your baptism as God naming you beloved, or whether it happens as an adult. Uh, I think when we look at our baptisms and we think about the significant of our, significance of our baptisms, it's that we are named by God and that that's enough. Good news. It is good news. <laughs> it's very good news. Baptism as a reminder of who we are as a beloved child of God, as a renunciation of everything that the world says otherwise. How many of us need a reminder of who we are on a regular basis? I find we need to be reminded of this daily. 
When I was getting ready for this morning, one of the things I thought about is how many times we tell the people in our lives, I love you. I realize to my family members, I will do this every morning, every night, and usually at the end of every phone call. How many of you, when you're leaving people, hug them and tell them you love them? And maybe affirm that reality of that. And for how many of us, that is so important to hear every day. Throughout the scriptures, we see this reality that we are children of God. We are the beloved of God. And God is reminding us this time and time again. One of the most consistent things we see in the text of the Old Testament, Hebrew scriptures, is this call to remember. Remember the faithfulness of God. This act of reminding is almost a holy act because every single day we need to hear these things. Most of us start the day with a routine and if you don't begin your day with a routine of reminding yourself in some way who you are, there will be some other voice, sometimes in the world and sometimes our own, that is telling you a different message from this gospel good news we talk about this morning. A different message that names you something else. Henry Nouwen, in his book, Here and Now, Living in the Spirit, writes about the fact that we are God's beloved children. During our short lives, the question that guides much of our behavior is, who are we? Although we may seldom pose that question in a formal way, we live it very concretely in our day-to-day decisions. The three answers that we generally live, not necessarily give, are, what are we to do, or we are what we do, we are what others say about us, And we are what we have. Or in other words, we are our successes, we are our popularity, and we are our power. Jesus came to announce to us that an identity based on success, popularity, and power is a false identity, an illusion. Loudly and clearly, he says, you are not what the world makes you, but you are children of God. Now and goes on to talk about the importance of claiming our belovedness. The spiritual life requires a constant claiming of our true identity, he writes. Our true identity is that we are God's children. The beloved sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, Jesus' life reveals to us this mysterious truth. And writing about his baptism, Now and says, this decisive moment of Jesus' life. His true identity is declared to him and to us. He is the beloved of God. And as the beloved, he is being sent into the world so that through him, all people will discover and claim their own belovedness. Friends, I want to suggest to you that our call in life is to live out of this belovedness of God. This is the foundational truth of who we are, of who we are called to be, and what life is. To live as beloved. Performance psychologist Jim Lair, who works with elite athletes and Olympians, talks about the many things that athletes face in their lives. Their opponents, the course, or the field they play, 
the physical limitations of what they do, and then last and sometimes most, the voice in their own head that speaks to them. In working with athletes, Lair mics up them during a competition and asks them to verbalize all the things that that inner voice is saying to them, the things that they are saying to themselves. And he records it and then writes it down and then plays it back for them and then helps them to shift that inner voice from an inner critic to an inner encourager, an inner nurturer, someone who is for and in support of them. And he talks about the profound effect that it has on his athletes. Stacy Smith always reminds me of this quote, whose story of you have you exchanged my story of you with? As we begin to relate back to ourselves this narrative of who we are, we want it to be the truth of who God says we are, not how we feel or what we're worried about or the anxieties that we face. Eugene Peterson says, a life rightly lived is lived in response to God's love. So what am I responding to? Am I responding to hate and pain and fear? Am I responding to worry about tomorrow? Am I responding to a feeling of worthlessness? Or am I responding to what the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the lover of my soul says? Henry Nouwen, in another book, Life of the Beloved, as you can tell, Nouwen writes extensively of this reality of God's love. He says, ever since you asked me to write for you and your friends about the spiritual life, I have been wondering if there might be one word, one word I would most want to remember when you finished reading all I wish to say. Over the past year, that special word has gradually emerged from the depths of my heart. It is the word beloved. And I am convinced that it has been given to me for the sake of you and your friends. Our many conversations led me to the inner conviction that the words, you are my beloved, revealed the most intimate truth about all human beings, whether they belong to any particular tradition or not. He writes to his friend, Fred, all I want to say to you is, you are the beloved. And all I hope is that you can hear these words as spoken to you with all the tenderness and force that love can hold. My only desire is to make these words reverberate in every corner of your being. You are the beloved. Friends, as we begin to hear these words spoken over Jesus, they begin to take hold in our lives and our heart, and we are able to hear them for ourselves. Now, some Christians go their whole lives striving and straining, trying to get to the end of their life where they will hear this phrase that you know from Scripture, well done, good and faithful servant. This is a beautiful phrase and a wonderful Scripture, but as I read this week, I thought how dangerous it would be to try and live our whole lives just to hear that one thing as we see in the life of Jesus, before he even begins his ministry, before he is sent out into the world, we see God naming him, giving him this identity as beloved. And the same with us. As Wesley would call prevenient grace, this grace that goes before, 
This love of God that loves and knows us before all things, before we're even made or created, that proclaims over us we are loved, we are claimed in His love, we are His. Nothing we can do to respond to that or earn that. This is the free gift of God, the grace and love of God. Friends, this is not something to live our whole life to wait to hear at the end. This is something as we see in the life of Jesus to hear from day one spoken over us before the foundations of all time. You are my beloved, delight of my life. Friends, in my experience, when we hear those words spoken over us, it changes us. It shapes us and molds us. We're able to let go of this straining and striving and this need and desire to win and achieve and earn. And we can rest in response to this love and acceptance. Todd Bolsinger talks about this important foundational reality of identity in his book, Tempered by Resilience. He offers steps and approach to leadership. And as he does this, it is interesting to me that the first step he starts with is this step of identity. He writes, Before Jesus had done anything for anyone, something was done to and for him. He was baptized in the Jordan River, and this was spoken over him. This is my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. While commentators affirm this message, as a kind of inauguration of the work that Jesus is about to undertake as Messiah, it's a subtle but critical point worth pausing on as we consider what it takes to lead change well. Before he had done anything, Jesus was already known, already loved, and already pleased by his Father. This is important not only because it is true and wondrous and gives us great comfort, but also because it affirms a critical truth that leaders need to know. Resilient leaders are grounded in something other than their success as a leader. Resilient leaders have a grounded identity. Their sense of self is not dependent on the affirmation of those who celebrate them for their successes or laud them for their accolades. Truly resilient leaders are grounded in the reality that they already know, they are already loved, and are secure in that reality even when their circumstances are most unpredictable. The good news of God is that we are loved before we have accomplished anything. Anything, friends. God is well pleased with us before we have done anything to please Him. We are loved into existence. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And even if we fail in our leadership efforts, as surely we may, God's love for us never fails. God will complete God's own work in us and someday the justice will roll down and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of God. Let this truth transform you. Let this truth deepen you. Let the love of God ground you, Bolsinger writes. Friends, have you ever encountered someone trying so hard to earn something that is always out of reach? And God comes to us in his son and reminds us, Rest, be at peace in my love and my presence. Famed leadership author Warren Bennis writes about this reality of being grounded in our identity. 
Leadership is first being, then doing. Everything the leader does reflects what he or she is. Therefore, leadership is about expressing yourself, not proving yourself. Bennis explains that if we are constantly seeking this affirmation, we are constantly at trial and needing to earn the approval of others. But as we are grounded in this reality of accepted, beloved, we begin to just express who God has created us to be. So what does this look like to rest in this identity of who we are? Friends, it is a constant and daily reminding. It is the reading and meditating and soaking of the scriptures. It is the coming to the Lord early in prayer and late at night to hear that small, sweet voice that whispers us in the cleft of the rock and tells us who we are. It is being in faithful community with others who look and see and greet you and remind you of that. It is the small acts of telling our family, I love you. Friends, this is a daily journey where we need to be reminded of who we are. As we begin to soak into the rhythms of faith, as we begin to ask ourselves, what am I responding to? As we begin to retell the narrative to ourselves and those around us, things shift and we begin to respond to God's love in new and powerful ways. The further I get in this journey, the more and more I am reminded how much I need to hear that I am beloved. This is a lesson we will never stop learning. As the Apostle Paul writes his letters and progresses on through his faith, faith we see him going deeper and deeper to a discovery of his brokenness and with that a deeper and deeper discovery of his love and grace that God meets him with in all things. Friends, this is the journey of a lifetime. This is what God invites us to, to be God's beloved child. Friends, I want to invite you to hear that whisper, that proclamation over Jesus today as he is baptized. You, my friends, you are the beloved of God in whom he is well pleased. Amen.